Hi, I'm Raymond from Insert Quest here, and today we're talking to RPG game developer Megan Bennett Burks. Thank you for joining us, Megan. Thank you, Ray. I'm glad to be here today. Cool. Uh, I thought we might start off by having you tell us a little bit about your history in the game design industry and maybe tell us about some of your past projects and experience. So the largest project I worked on was actually my very first book, Leaves of Chiaroscuro. I've also been working on a lot of um, contributions to other projects, including the uh, one the RPG Brigade worked on a lot called the RPGS2 Science Fantasy Toolkit. I have some other projects in the work that are smaller for people. They're presently um, in development for the future. What what's the what's the sci-fi toolkit? So that one was a uh, a massive group project where everybody pretty much detailed one little corner of the universe, detailed different um, life forms there, aliens, technology, wrote up little histories for their. Uh, basically, it was made for a hex crawl type scenario. Okay, sci-fi hex crawl, kind of cool. Um, awesome. Uh, and and uh, I thought uh, I was wondering uh, how long you've been into RPGs and what your history with gaming personally was like. <clears throat> so, me. actually, uh, my history with RPGs goes back to high school lunch breaks. Uh, friends and I would get together and we'd play rifts. Rifts. Rift. Uh, wow. Yeah, okay. Very very first RPG I ever played. Was it a particular? Was it just standard riffs or? Yep. I my memory of it's pretty foggy, to be fair, but it, it was pretty much standard riffs. Um, there's another uh, there's a RPG podcaster that works in my in similar networks to me, and they cut their teeth on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, nice! Um, Palladium game, which uses the same mechanics as Rifts. Yeah, I have that one too, actually, or I have some of the supplements <laughs> at least. Oh wow! There you go, Rifts. I uh, cool. Um, well, interesting. Uh, so, obviously, you're here for a reason today. You were going to talk to us about your uh, game that you're currently kickstarting, A Far Off Land. Yes, um, presently we're kickstarting a far off land. It's a RPG setting for the Fate RPG. Um, now in this setting, the players take on the roles of shape shifting demigod like beings called the Fated. The Fated are capable of traveling between different worlds, and um, there's two of them in this. Cool. Can you tell us a little bit about the uh, two worlds that they can travel between? Yes. So. The world which Fated are generally born into actually is almost identical to our own real world. However, it's only deceptively mundane. There's actually a hidden magic below it and sort of a dark secret that this world hides. The other world is the far-off land, which is full of strange eldritch creatures, magic, and monsters. And and what exactly are the goals for the faded why um, they're demigods gods normally exist for a purpose what purpose do they have they're very much super heroic in a way they are meant to be the protectors of the two worlds they travel between them um, making sure that they are maintained in proper balance and that uh those terrible things sleeping within our world don't wake up and destroy everything are the Fated empowered to do this in some way, or is it just by virtue of their being able to travel between worlds that they fight these things? 
So the various organizations the Fated belong to know of a ritual that is capable of um, kindling that demigod-like spark within them. So they do awaken to what they believe is their true destiny. They aren't born with their powers um, active, shall we say. So it's, it's similar to being Im- imbued with power. That's one way of thinking of it. Sort of unlocking that power. Yeah. Then, yeah. Um, what kind of powers do they have? So one of them is that they're able to use their skills to degrees, which um, no mortal can ever hope to match. Think of it as being like super adept at being um, able to use athletics or uh, able to fight to a degree that no mortal can possibly be skillful enough to um, compete with them. That's how they can keep up with other supernatural beings. But they also have command over the elements. So there's an improvisational elemental-based spell system involved. And in order to do this, they have to tap into their passion. So it's a very sort of emotional magic where they risk sort of losing control of themselves to some degree. Um, Finally, they are also capable of summoning elemental beings. And uh, this is called blood magic because they have to give up some of their own sort of divine spark through their, their blood and mix it in with the elements in order for this summoning to take place. Uh, that sounds pretty full on, uh, giving up some of yourself. Um, but the, the passions thing, the feeding your emotions into your magic, that sounds, uh, that sounds like it could be a recipe for some interesting conflict, uh, in, in sessions. Um, what do you what does that look like in game well it it could mean anything from um the person just becomes sort of a berserker they're just totally enraptured in their rage to maybe they're they're tapping into some like inner past stress that they've dealt with that have has sort of been a source of trauma for them so it's it's not if they really do it too much that's when it gets out of control if, mm. if they only use their magic sort of to a limited degree, then they're just sort of getting more passionate, more emotional, sort of more Dionysian, you could say. Oh, good word, Dionysian. Um, do, can, what, could, you use, um, could you use an emotion like uh, love or lust to power your elemental magic? Absolutely. Yeah, uh, it's it's very open ended. Okay. Cool. Cuz obviously when you when I think of those kinds of elementally uh, not elementally uh emotionally charged magical things, I think of um anger and and sadness and maybe uh you know grief. Um but uh it's often hard to think of ways to use love to power your magic um, in, in, in like a charged, uh, aggressive situation. Uh, so I guess that's no, why I, I can totally interested. understand that. Um, the sort of like berserker um, element of, of sort of tapping into that, it's sort of like a natural conclusion, I think, if that makes sense. Hmm, I think I get what you mean. Um, so while we're talking about the... Uh, the elements and the powers and the magic. 
Uh, the Faded have elemental powers at their control, as we just discussed. When I was looking at your Kickstarter, I noticed that the elements you've chosen, uh, at least to begin with, are the Greek or Hindu elements, fire, air, water, and earth. Um, why did you choose those elements, that elemental mythology specifically over another one, like maybe the Chinese elements uh, or, or another elemental uh, tradition that I may or may not be aware of? So um, Jacob actually probably could answer this question better because a lot of them, the original magic system was really, it's, it's sort of his vision, his baby, but they're, they're the most familiar set of elements. And so they give a, a sort of good starting point, a basis that are, is easy for most people to work with. Uh, that said, we are including some really simple ways for people to include more elements or to change those up to whatever elements they would prefer. Ah, brilliant. Uh and you mentioned, uh, did you say his name was Jacob? Mm-hmm. Uh, Jacob, someone else working on the project? Yes, Jacob Poston, who also worked on Jade Punk. Oh, As- I've heard of Jade Punk. Yeah. Um, cool. Um, uh, wonderful. Um, so you can, there, there's going to be some information within the text for including other elemental, uh, elemental things. That so is definitely part of the plan, and... and- much of the text is already written, so it's coming. Okay. Cool. Um, I thought uh, that we might also talk about what kind of themes your game is attempting to explore. Uh, so, and and what themes you're hoping to enable your players to explore. Um, obviously, you've got uh, something. You've got those basic themes of traveling between worlds uh, and. Uh, and maintaining balance and protecting um, order and whatnot. But uh, what kind of more abstract themes are you looking to explore? Like, uh, I'm trying to think of an example now. Um, Like, some games deal with, like, does your game deal with um, feelings of not belonging? That might be relevant to being living in two worlds. Um, or being torn between two paths or something like that? What kind of other themes do you hope your game explores? Definitely being torn between two worlds and uh, definitely also corruption within organizations and being used. Um, Their organizations are their trouble. Their organizations were created to make the world a better place and protect it, but there's a punk element of ultimately they're being used as tools and being controlled um, the organizations aren't living up to their potential. But the other theme is hope. Uh, the Faded can redeem their organizations. They can make them live up to their purpose. They can use them to actually make the world a better place. Right, yes. Because you said that, um, or at the very least it's mentioned on the Kickstarter, the game has uh, factions and courts right, as a feature of the setting, and it, they're connected to the Fated. Could you tell us a bit more about the fate, the, the factions and the courts? Yes, so the factions are those organizations that were formed by the Fated themselves and are influential in the mundane world, which they call the cage, for reasons that are going to be explained in the text. Uh, the Fated factions are very, very focused on what their vision of the two worlds is and sort of keeping the, the things that sleep uh, 
asleep. The courts are the eldritch courts, which are actually the remnants of ancient pantheons of gods and various mythological creatures. Oh, wow. So does the setting have, on the topic of pantheons of gods, do you have um, a whole pre-made selection of gods or is that something that you allow the players to create uh, as they go? We have a bunch of different examples of courts, um, but there's no reason that the players couldn't include their own. There's a lot of dropping hints that there's a lot more of them. Okay. Um, most of the gods are actually uh, either dead or they've been so drained of power they're sort of lesser than divine magical beings at this point, but that's sort of why the courts are still around trying to seek out their former glory. Okay. Um, so there's a bit of a political... Mm, not, I don't know if intrigue is the right word, but a po- definitely a political uh, uh, aspect to some of the gameplay. Uh, Absolutely. Some, yeah. And in a way that we're trying to make not too black or white. Even okay. some of the factions that might seem like, oh, these are the bad guys, they, they have potential to not be. All right. Um, could you tell us a bit more about the actual... Uh, far off land itself, this strange magical uh, dimension that the faded can travel to? Yeah, so magical creatures originally lived in our own world. Um, that became untenable, and they collectively got together and they built another world, um, which they went and they left this world behind, and they live there now. It's only, it's one plane of existence, but it's made of many, many different realms. And each of those realms is tied to a different sort of mythological place. Like um, Duat from the Egyptian, uh, ancient Egyptian religion. Uh, Wonderland is actually another one that's in there. So not all of them are from ancient religion or mythology. Some of them are from modern public domain works as well. Oh, nice. I noticed a few references to Wonderland when I was going through it, so I'm glad that I wasn't just imagining those. Oh, absolutely not. Yeah. Uh, are, there, are there any other public domain works that you've definitely put in there? Tempting. I, I've been terribly tempted to see um, how well I can legally get away with Wizard of Oz. Mm, um, I think yeah. that's in the public domain, but there's... Uh, some sort of qualms that you have to be careful not to dread on tread on a Disney territory with it. Oh yeah. I can see how that could be a complicated line to walk. Uh, Wonderful. Um, So it sounds to me like you've got a pretty um, well-formed setting. Uh, I wanted to know a little bit more about the mechanics. Now, you said this uses uh, Fate. Is that Fate Core? Yes. Okay. Um, What made you choose Fate? So, um, part of it is simply that Fate is a system that I've written work for in the past, and I'm very familiar with it. And Jacob also has written work for it in the past and is very familiar with it. Uh, That kind of makes it a natural, but also Fate... It's a system that lends itself very, very well to making new settings um, without overcomplicating things. And its aspects and stunt system really lend themselves very well for 
how we want to represent the dual nature of these sort of shape-shifting player characters, if that you, makes sense. We, we haven't talked too much about the shape-shifting aspect of the yeah. players. I wouldn't mind getting back to that in a minute, but... Is there any um, – often when people make a new uh, a game for Fate, um, they'll add on some mechanics of their own. Was there anything that you added in to uh, Fate, um, or did you feel that the uh, mechanics as presented were a uh, perfect fit and didn't need any addition? We did add some things, um, but we tried to work within the framework the framework of what exists. Um, other than magic, magic is not really gone into in the core rulebook. Mm-hmm. So we did add on magic, but we also made our own stunts, and we made some different types of stunts for uh, faded player characters to take. Okay, cool. Um, I'm also currently working on a fake game, and I also had added in a different type of stunt. I separated them into utilitarian stunts and combat stunts because ah. my game has a focus on fighting people. Uh, so that's interesting. That uh, stunts seems to be the place where we both decided to add stuff. Yeah, I think that's pretty natural, actually. They're, uh, they're a fun tool to work with. Yeah, cool. Uh, so shape-shifting. We didn't really touch on the shape-shifting part of the faded. <laughs> Yeah, so the Faded have sort of their dual nature. They have two selves. One of their selves is that that they're born into. That's their their human self. That's what they look like when they're in the cage, the mundane world, for the most part. And when they go into the far-off land, they change. They take on a more mythical form, a mythical aspect. They might look like the ancient gods or a bit like some sort of monster or fantastic creature. Um, ordinarily, when they shapeshift, it, it's dependent on where they are, but there's ways they can sort of tap into that other aspect of themselves and bring it out um, and become, you know, that fantastic monster, god-like creature in the mundane world. But it takes extra effort. Right. Of course. I mean, I that, that makes sense. Um, so does the, does the shapeshifted form... Is the shape-shifted form mostly cosmetic or does it give access to something else as well? Each form has its own benefits because of how we did stunts. So our new types of stunts change how they function depending on what form they are in. So if my uh, if my visage in the far off realm uh, has me with uh, as a being of a thousand eyes and a hundred wings, I can fly. Yeah, there is a stunt for that, and actually uh, guidelines to make more of your own. So if you have a a character envisioned that just doesn't fit anything we've come up with, it shouldn't be too hard to make something work for it. Uh, excuse my creepy example. I have a thing for biblical angels. Uh, it's okay. I included ones very much like that in my last game. Oh, you wonderful. Like that. <laughs> um, brilliant. Uh, so I, uh, I wanted to uh, also talk uh, a little bit about um, your, your roadmap for the future uh, with this game and, and, and maybe uh, some stuff about the Kickstarter. Um, what exactly uh, is, uh, why exactly have you chosen to do a Kickstarter for your game uh, and what uh, what are you uh, hoping to uh, get from uh, that Kickstarter? Uh, and we'll start with uh, 
your modest goals for the Kickstarter, and then we'll transition into your more, uh, what is the word I want, uh, impassioned hopes uh, for the Kickstarter. So uh, the main thing is that we wanted to really be able to invest in more art and in getting it professionally edited. Now, I believe even if we didn't kickstart it, I I think even if we went about just taking longer with it, doing the funding ourselves more slowly over time, we could still probably reach those goals. But uh, a Kickstarter just, it it gets people more involved. We're going to get more feedback. Um, the funding, if, if it goes through, is going to um, help things move a lot faster. And I think we're going to get things turning out more sort of how we really want them to this way. So editing and arts, just a, a really big one to assure. Yeah, definitely. I mean, art can uh, make or break a game in, my, in, in, the, in the stuff that I've seen. If you don't have um, compelling art that speaks to the themes of your uh, game, uh, you it, it sometimes the message can be lost um and also people love art uh in their game books yeah absolutely um what are some of your more uh passionate uh hopes for the kickstarter like uh what are some of the stretch goals and things like that so some of the stretch goals are we really want to have an opportunity to create more material for this game we want to release a supplement that details mortal organizations and how humans interact with the mythological beings and the faded and the courts and all that. Um, we also want to create a little magical supplement that expands upon uh, if you want to use something completely different from the elements for your magic. Uh, and finally, the one I'm most impassioned about that I'm really hoping we reach is a uh, powered by the apocalypse version of the game or the apocalypse engine. Apocalypse World Engine. I uh, we love uh, we love Powered by the Apocalypse here at Inzerquest. Here uh, we play that stuff all the time. Uh, so I would love that. Uh, although I also would love the Fate version of the game. I just yeah, Powered by the Apocalypse gets me excited. Yeah, I have a crush on that system right now. <laughs> I haven't actually played straight up Apocalypse World, but I played Dungeon World and um, Urban Shadows and, and lots of hacks of it. Uh, Urban Shadows is one I haven't had an opportunity to get to yet, but I've played the other two that you mentioned. It's really solid. Uh, Brilliant. I think a friend of uh, the podcast did a game of Urban Shadows, not recorded, but where they were playing in uh, Salt Lake City and the Mormons were vampires. Nice. Um, or, Or I guess the vampires were Mormons would be more accurate. That would make sense. Uh, so very conflicted. You mentioned the um, mortals interacting with uh, with the factions um, uh, as one of the potential goals, and that reminded me um, of a question that I uh, thought of earlier in the interview when the fated are in the more mundane world, the cage, uh, I believe you said was what yes. it was called in the setting. Um, it, what, what do they do in the cage? Like is, is, are they stopping stuff from bleeding from far off world or is it, uh, or is it keeping the magic suppressed? 
in there or is or is the cage sort of like a place for respite and reprieve so it's it's pretty much most of what you said i wouldn't really say the cage is a place for respite and reprieve if anything um maybe a little ironically that's the far off land uh the cage is is a prison for some very very dangerous things that are not presently active and everybody wants to make sure that those don't become active um, most people are completely ignorant that that's actually uh, what the cage has become. But when there's things from the other world coming over and bleeding into the cage, you start to have problems because that that might wake up very, very hungry things. What are the kind of things that lurk within the cage or that rest within it, slumber within it? The main one is ancient dragons. Ooh, dragons. And the other one is primordial giants. Oh, giants and dragons. That's an RPG just in its uh, in its own. <laughs> yes. Uh, how, uh, uh, what kind of a, it sounds like these dragons and giants would be pretty serious threats. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Can you tell us a bit more about them, maybe? So the giants are much less likely to wake up. They're kind of the thing that if the dragons wake up and destroy everything, then they're going to follow suit. And that's kind of the end game. The dragons are these just epically powerful godlike monsters that eat magic. Oh, they and eat magic. Everything else. Yeah. Okay. That's not terrifying for a being made of magic at all. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Uh, and, and are there forces, what kind of forces are at play that are attempting to wake these dragons? Is it just natural decay or are there people within the far off land that are like, you know what, maybe dragons? So there's magical beings that like to go to the cage. And unfortunately, most creatures, when they use magic within the cage, it's sort of like sending out a little signal that there's a, a treat being dangled in front of them. Uh, yeah, it's uh, often a completely unintentional consequence, but there are organizations. There's actually a faction which players could even belong to called the Destroyers that want to wake them up um, because they believe that the dragons will usher in after uh, the cage is destroyed something else new and better. Sort of a interesting birth, destruction, rebirth kind of cycle yeah, that the Destroyers have there. Okay. Um, are there other plans for expansions or other, um, extra content, um, for, uh, for Far Off Land, um, or, or future projects related to it? Um, any, anything? Those three. Yeah? Um, It's possible that there might eventually be more, but at the moment it's the uh, the Company of Mortals, the magic supplement in the Apocalypse world, I'm hoping. Cool. Um, now, uh, this is kind of a question that I often ask game designers. Uh, do you have plans for future projects beyond the one that you're here uh, telling us about today? Uh, stuff that maybe uh, people should be on the lookout or uh, look out for or, uh, or anything like that? Absolutely. Presently, I'm just undergoing research for a project that I'm preliminarily calling Fennel Witches, which is going to be definitely an apocalypse world thing that's focused on sort of um, a mix of Italian folklore. Um, covens is, is what the focus of the game is going to be. You're going to be in a coven. 
and um, small town weirdness. Oh, okay. That sounds pretty cool. Uh, were there any other projects that you're currently thinking of working on? Um, at the moment, just uh, I might do some small ones here and there. And I have a supplement for Leaves of Chiaroscuro sort of on the back burner. That's Five Dragons Oniros, which is expanded rules for playing dragons in Leaves of Chiaroscuro. Um, and that was a, that was the game you'd worked on in the past, yeah? Yeah. Uh, what exactly. was that one about? So it's a, a sort of exploration and intrigue-oriented game that's set in the Renaissance era, but it's alternate history fantasy. Okay, cool. Um, wonderful. Um, well, uh, I mean, that sounds pretty great. It was really nice talking to you about uh, A Far Off Land uh, and hearing about it. How much, how much longer is the Kickstarter running as of recording this? Well, let's see. I can check that right now. It is going for 28 more days. Um, we're about 45% to our goal, so I'm hoping. Nice. So what's the, what's the end date uh, for the Kickstarter? The end date in 28 days. I would have to do some calculations, but I believe it's the day after Black Friday. Oh, I thought it might have just said on there, I've never run a Kickstarter. Um, wonderful. Uh, so, yeah, as of recording it, uh, for the listeners, this is the 29th of October, so you have a f- uh, you should hopefully have more than a few days left uh, to go uh, and hunt down this Kickstarter, and there will be links uh, below. If people wanted to see more from you and follow your projects, uh, where can they find you online, uh, Megan? Megan? I'm actually very easy to find. If they Google my name, I'm sure I'll come up, but I'm very active on G+, actually. And there's uh, also faroffLandRPG.com as well. Uh, wonderful. Uh, so yeah, guys, be sure to, or folks rather, be sure to check out uh, Megan over on uh, G+, uh, and go check out A Far Off Land on Kickstarter, uh, which uh, has, a, has, a, has a few more days left to go, uh, hopefully. Uh, it should have about 22 days left to go at the time of posting this recording. Uh, uh, so, uh, thank you for coming on, uh, Megan. I hope that you, uh, enjoyed the experience. I did. Thank you, Ray. Uh, wonderful. And, uh, as always guys, uh, please remember to check out our, uh, uh, our other recordings. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, we are, have a G plus group. Uh, you can find our recordings on SoundCloud and iTunes, uh, and if you feel like checking out bonus content from us, see, getting access to early recordings, seeing session notes and planning notes, including uh, my notes for this uh, interview, you can find all that and more uh, over at our Patreon. Uh, so please go check that out uh, and consider supporting us. Otherwise, share this podcast with your friends. Uh, and uh, thank you for listening. Farewell from the past. I'm Raymond.